Well, imagine if you can, two Christians who can't agree on something. I know, it's really hard to try uh, to do that. Um, no, this, in this particular example, they're having a hard time agreeing on what it means to share the gospel. They have different ideas. Let's call them Mr. Words and Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds feels like Christians say too many words without the accompanying action. If the gospel is about love, then we need to proclaim with our words less and love with our actions more. Focus on embodying the love of Jesus by serving people around us, acting on issues of social justice. That's what proclaiming the gospel should be about. We reveal Christ's love and Christ's reign through our actions. Mr. Words believes that, of course, we should do good to others, but the real pressing and important need is to tell people about Jesus. I mean, is there any more important need in our lives than a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? It's not as if he doesn't care about social engagement, but what makes us, he argues, different from any nonprofit if we don't clearly communicate Jesus to people? How could someone respond to Christ saving love and grace. That's what proclaiming the gospel should be about. It should be about us sharing with our words Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for life and salvation, inviting them into uh, relationship with Christ and becoming disciples. The strange thing about such disagreements about sharing the gospel is that the fault lines from them are very real in the church and completely unhelpful and unnecessary. Because for the last two weeks, we've been talking about how big the gospel is, how big the good news about Jesus as Lord of all through his life, death, and resurrection is, how it's not just good news for when we die, it's good news with real implications for life right now, how it has the power to save us from sin and for participating with God's redemptive work in the world, how it's both personal and social in its reach and implications. So doesn't it make sense then that A gospel so big and so beautiful cannot and should not only be shared in one way. If the good news is is good news for me and all creation, if the gospel is personal and social, if the gospel is good news for now and not just when I die, if the gospel is about Jesus saving us from and for something, then surely the gospel is to be shared in word and deed, and sign. Enter Miss Sign into the conversation. What, what about the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion? She asks. Don't they proclaim in a very experiential, immersive way the gospel of Jesus? Shouldn't we seek to share the good news in that way too? In our last sermon of this and gospel sermon series, we look at how the gospel is so big that it must be shared in word, deed, and sign. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word for us this day. And we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to it, that you would use it to grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A series of readings uh, this morning, two from Acts and one from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. First from Acts chapter 5, I'll be reading from um, 41 verses 41 and 42. 
The apostles left the council rejoicing because they had been regarded as worthy to suffer disgrace for the sake of the name. Every day they continued to teach and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ, both in the temple and in houses. In Acts chapter 4, 32 through 35. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. And then finally from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. I received a tradition from the Lord which I also handed on to you. On the night on which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same thing with the cup. After they had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this to remember me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you broadcast the death of the Lord until he comes. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, in the first of this sermon series, I said how the word gospel in Greek is euangelion, which means good news. In the days of the Roman Empire, an evangelist was a messenger of the conquests of Caesar. So when a, a Caesar, so when uh, a people or or geographic area was conquered by Rome, these heralds or these messengers would proclaim and announce with words the good news that they now belonged to Rome and would be under Roman rule. Good news: Caesar is victorious. For early Christians, obviously, the gospel was a much different kind of good news. A message spoken with words announcing what God did through Jesus Christ and what happened as a result. The news that Jesus Christ was the king through his death and resurrection and that people could now belong to him by grace through faith. In Acts, we just read, we see Luke narrating how important this verbal proclamation of the good news was for the early church. Just prior to this scripture passage, Peter and the other apostles are seized and they're thrown into prison by the Sadducees who are jealous that they're starting to attract such a crowd of people and the attention that they're getting. An angel breaks them out of of jail and what do they do? They go right back into the temple and start preaching the good news all over again. The council seizes them again and tells them to stop talking to people about Jesus. Stop talking to people about Jesus. But Luke tells us every day, every day, they continue to proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ, both in the temple and in houses. So it's pretty clear that this message is meant to be spoken with words. It's news so good with the power to change lives that it's meant to be announced out loud so that people can hear it and respond to it in faith. We're supposed to be in the habit of telling others what Jesus did and what difference it makes. If there's ever a story that deserves all of the the words on the front page of the newspaper, the first segment of a news show, the top 
and, and trending Instagram and Twitter posts, the first thing on our lips, it should be the gospel, the good news of Jesus. More important than the election of a president, more important than a country's declaration of war, more important than a scientific discovery, more special than the birth of a baby, more special than the marriage of a loved one, the good news of Jesus announces a transformation that, if true, changes everything. Shouldn't that deserve to come out of our lips more often? Vincent Donovan was a a Catholic priest and missionary in Africa in the 1960s among the Maasai people. Now, you should know that there was already mission work going on over there. There were hospitals and schools, and when Vincent had a chance to visit uh, and learn about the work that had taken place, he was happy to see all the good work going on in the hospitals and in the schools. But he soon realized that there was no uh, no adult Messiah practicing Christians and that no one, it seemed, had spoken to the Messiah about God. So he gradually went from one community to another gathering the elders and asking them if he could share the story of Jesus with them. And to his great surprise, at every village, the elders gave permission. He was readily given permission. And in every village, the response was, if this Jesus is so important to you, if that is why there are schools and hospitals here, why have you waited so long to tell us about him? And from that conversation, he agreed to come once a week and and talk about God. Perhaps... We might have some people in our lives who might say, if this Jesus is so important to your life, why have you not shared about him before? Whoa. The good news of our our faith can't just be reduced to unexplained good deeds. I mean, it's good and wonderful to build orphanages and donate food and work for racial justice and serve the poor. And yet, even when all of those needs are met, people still have a need for Jesus Christ and the gift of life and hope that he brings. For followers of Jesus, it's something very specific, very specific that makes our actions good. If we never share the good news of Jesus with our words, we neglect the why behind our actions. The good news we proclaim with loving actions depends on the truth behind them being deep in our bones, that Jesus loves us and forgives us and makes us new through his saving death and resurrection. To say this out loud with our words is to reinforce how true it is for us. Because a gospel proclamation without words is vague. And because the gospel is so big and so beautiful and so good, words alone are not enough. We can't just say Jesus loves you and his Lord Of all, we have to demonstrate it through our actions. Early Christians acted on the basis that the good news they heard and received was indeed true. And so their actions also proclaimed the truth that Jesus was the Lord. And Jesus must be in charge of things because this is how we're living our lives. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions where they owned. They shared everything they had with great power They continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy people in their midst. 
From time to time, they would sell land, bring the money, put it at the apostles' feet, and distribute it to anyone who had need. You see that? So they testified to the good news of Jesus' resurrection through their actions and their life together. They made sure no one was in need. They shared. They reached out. The evidence that what they said was true and good was found in the actions of a community who lived by the gospel's logic. Who lived by the gospel's logic. Now, research tells us that one of people's biggest turnoffs from the church is that they view it as hypocritical. Meaning that the message we proclaim about Jesus is different from the way we live. That's why it's so incomplete and incoherent to simply talk about how Jesus saves without lifting a finger to help someone in poverty, to work for justice, to say Jesus is Lord but not exhibit loving actions toward people to show what Jesus being in charge actually looks like. Any of us who've been in any kind of meaningful relationship know that you can say, I love you with your words, but that love remains rather surface level unless you are embodying it with your actions. Jesus didn't just say, good news, the kingdom of God is here. He ate with sinners. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He multiplied loaves and fish to feed hungry people. He showed that the kingdom was here through the things that he did, through his actions. Eric Swanson, a Christian writer who focuses on the mission of the church, talks about how when the communists took over Russia in 1917, they technically did not make Christianity illegal. In fact, their constitution did guarantee freedom of religion. But what they did make illegal was for the church to do any good works. No longer could the church feed the hungry. No longer could the church welcome the stranger. No longer could the church house the orphan. No longer could the church educate children or care for the sick. The result? Some 70 years later, the church was mostly irrelevant to the communities in which it existed. But what communist Lenin did by cruel design, many churches and Christians have done by default. And the result is the, is the same. A church that is irrelevant and out of touch because a gospel proclamation without deeds is insincere. And finally, friends, a gospel so big and so beautiful can't just be proclaimed with word, can't just be proclaimed with word and deed, but also with sign. A sign is something that points beyond itself, describing a, a deeper uh, and important truth. In our tradition, we have two signs that we call sacraments, Holy Communion and Baptism. And both proclaim the good news about Jesus. They are experiential. They are sensory. They engage us differently than simply word and, and deed. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, when we eat this bread and when we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time that we, we share in this holy meal, that means we're proclaiming the good news about Jesus. When Jesus wanted us to remember what his saving death on the cross meant, he gave us a meal. 
When God wanted us to see and experience what it is to be given a new identity in Jesus Christ, what it is to, be, to, to die with Christ and be, and be given new life in Christ, he gave us baptism. Baptism and Holy Communion are like gospel immersive experiences for followers of Jesus. Everything about them announces the good news. I'll never forget one time uh, in divinity school when I was serving as an intern at UNC Wesley Campus Ministry, the students wanted to witness on campus. Uh, Sometimes there was this guy um, with a megaphone preaching at the pit near the cafeteria. Uh, He may have thought he was proclaiming good news with his words, but most of what he said didn't sound too good. Anyways, these UNC students, uh, Wesley students, asked the the director of the the campus ministry and I if we could do a service of Holy Communion on the quad. Communion on the quad. And just see what happened. So we did. We put up a sign that said, Holy Communion, 3 p.m., all are welcome. And then we showed up with a table and bread and juice. Students uh, began to gather from, from UNC Wesley, but also people who were, who were walking by stopped and, and lingered, and some were curious, and some came to receive the bread and cup, and some stayed afterward to ask us these wonderful questions and express, even express gratitude for what this gathering meant to them and the different kind of witness it was to the man yelling in the megaphone the other side of the quad. And in that communion on the quad, people experienced the gospel. It wasn't just in word per se. It wasn't just in deed per se. It was in sign, in the breaking and sharing of bread. It was communicating that the good news of Jesus is something to be experienced, participated in Gospel through sign. Because a gospel proclaimed without sign might just be too rational. That's why it's so important to invite people to worship. It's not about the numbers. It's about whether or not we are creating a way for people to experience through sign the gospel of Jesus. Here and here. So here's the deal, friends. The gospel is good news, and it is big, way bigger than we can imagine. And you are called to proclaim it in all of its fullness and in all of its beauty, not just me, not just the preacher and the pastor, all of us. It's meant to be shared with our words and with our actions and with sign so that people receive it, so that people are touched by it, so that people experience it changing and transforming their lives. You know what the amazing part is? Sharing it in those ways will change our lives just as much. Thanks be to God for a big, big gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.